0: So good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. Um, as, as Pastor Becky said, um, I'm a student at MTSO right now, and my, my field education is happening at Ohio Wesleyan, and my supervisor, who's the chaplain there, Dr. Chad Johns, said, Beth, I think you should preach a sermon this year. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? Um, so thank, thank goodness Pastor Becky was so gracious and encouraging, and uh, so that's why I'm standing here today. And I can't think of another place I'd rather be doing my first sermon than with you all. So thank you for your welcome. Um, I have one teensy tiny little uh, update for the bulletin. So the title of my sermon is actually When Going to the Mountaintop Bring a Guide. So just keep that in mind. (laughs) I spent the summer of 2013 working at a Girl Scout resident camp in southern Ohio. At the end of the summer, I was excited for my husband, Mark, to meet some of my camp friends. A backpacking trip was planned with one of my new friends and Mark, and we settled on Shawnee State Forest as our destination. It had decent length trails and primitive sites, which were perfect for backpacking. Even though none of our party was a stranger to hiking, especially as Mark and I had recently completed 54 miles of the Palmetto Trail in South Carolina, uh, we were not ready for the route that we had planned. So we had all the gear and the food we'd need, but we hadn't accounted for the change in elevation that came along with hiking in the Little Smokies of Ohio. As we hiked up and down increasingly steep hills, we realized that the four hours we'd planned to the first campsite was vastly unrealistic. Instead of the designated campsite, we were forced to stop at a clearing off the trail where there was a water spigot and some grassy flat ground about half the distance to the first campsite. After setting up our tent, we decided to rest on our sleeping pads in the grass, and when we got up, our legs were on fire. (laughs) We had unwittingly found a thriving population of chiggers. (laughs) Sounds like some of you have had the pleasure. Uh, If not, these are tiny biting insects that often live in tall grass and have horrifically itchy bites. My friend and I each counted over 100 bites on our legs. While we managed to have a good time despite the itching, we learned an important lesson about venturing into unfamiliar territory. It helps to talk to someone who has been there. Today's gospel story is, in a way, about a hiking trip, In a way, it's about unfamiliar territory, and it's also about much more. Today is an exciting day. Today, we are on the mountaintop with Jesus. Transfiguration Sunday takes us to the highest heights and brings us close to God. It is a time for me that involves remembering mountaintop experiences in Jesus' life and in my own. How many of you have been on top of a mountain? All right, we got some hands. Nice. Uh, So when you think about the best part of standing on a mountaintop, you might say it's the sense of accomplishment for getting up there uh, or the breathtaking views. In my experience, it's that all-encompassing sense of the grandeur of nature, which for me is always spiritual, I feel close to God in viewing the majesty of God's creation. This is the quintessential mountaintop experience. But mountains are not required. Sometimes it can be a high point in your life, a time when you get the big picture, a time when you feel close to God. A mountaintop moment can occur anywhere at any time. In the passage we read today, however, Jesus, Peter, and John, and James are on top of a mountain. Looking at the disciples' experience, I wonder what they must have been feeling as they went on a hike with Jesus. Look, I know usually we think of people in the Bible as walking, but if you end up on top of a mountain, you're hiking, okay? (laughs) Hiking anywhere that is high enough to be called a mountain, even if it's just colloquially, is a lot of work. I imagine they were tired, maybe hot and achy. They might have stopped to take a drink of water as soon as they had the chance. Maybe they were smelling the fresh air and trees around them. (sighs) Maybe a cool breeze was reaching them as they were standing out in the open. The view below must have been something to see as well for folks who didn't live in an age of high-rise buildings. As they stop there at the top, taking in the scenery, maybe napping, definitely in a sleepy super, they noticed Jesus standing with two people who for sure did not come with them. And to have grown up reading the holy scriptures and about Moses and Elijah and then have them standing right there, I get it, Peter. What a wonderful sight. Who wouldn't want to stay there? Peter was following that instinct we all have to preserve the beauty and sacredness in our lives when it comes especially close, to stop time. Unfortunately, although he was literally on top of a mountain with Jesus, Peter was not quite getting the big picture. As the cloud overshadowed him, Peter discovered that he had a guide on the mountaintop with him To help him realize why they were there and what was happening. That guide came in the voice of God, who reminds Peter, John, and James that they are not only in a beautiful place, they are also witnessing something of utmost importance. Listen to him, the voice commands. God is focusing Peter, John, and James into the here and now. Listen to him, be present with Jesus. Stop trying to build shelters and listen. If we could extend this message, maybe it would be, listen to my son as he tells you about his mission. Stop letting your ideas about him get in the way of what he is trying to do. Support him instead of arguing with him. So God's voice is a guide on the mountaintop, focusing the three disciples on what is important but God is not the only guiding force. There are guides enough to go around in this scene. As Luke tells us, Jesus is speaking with Moses and Elijah when the disciples see him. First of all, I want to know how they recognize Moses and Elijah. It's not like they were printed on the money. Maybe they attended a church like King Avenue. (laughs) So, okay, so in this party of six, Why Moses and Elijah? Of course, they were servants of God who lived faithful lives and did great things. They are also important because of what they would have represented to Jesus, the disciples, and those early Christians who read Luke's gospel. Moses and Elijah both had mountaintop experiences with God. For Moses, this resulted in God's law being given to God's people. For an Elijah encounters God speaking in the silence when he is fleeing from King Ahaz. In the presence of these men, Jesus is in the company of two figures who could represent the law and the prophets of the Jewish religion, which is Jesus' religion and that of his disciples. As a Palestinian Jew and also the son of God, Jesus is taking up the mantle from Moses and Elijah. He is continuing and fulfilling their work. They are, in addition, as biblical scholar Amy Levine notes, men whose bodies cannot be found. In Exodus, after Moses is buried, it is noted that no one can find his burial plot. And Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. Jesus also becomes a third person whose body cannot be found as he is raised from the dead. As three men whose bodies cannot be found, what remains is the stories, the law, the prophets, and the gospel, God's word. I like to think there's another reason why Moses and Elijah were on the mountaintop with Jesus other than a symbolic one. I don't know how many of you gather with people for symbolic reasons. Um, Before this scene on the mountaintop, Jesus has just begun to speak of his upcoming time in Jerusalem, his suffering and death, to the disciples, and the disciples have either argued with him or completely misunderstood. I think God sent in reinforcements for Jesus. Moses and Elijah are two of the only people who might have had even an inkling of what Jesus' life and work was like. As Scott Hosey says in his commentary on Luke, these recognized giants of the faith come to point Jesus in the direction he needs to go and to encourage him that down that path lies the salvation of the world. We read read just before this part in Luke about how little the disciples understood when Jesus tried to describe his suffering and death. Finally, Jesus had someone to talk to who just might understand the trials and importance of his work. When I think about that conversation, my imagination gets going again. What did they say before Peter, John, and James started paying attention? Was Moses commiserating with Jesus? You think the disciples don't listen? Try leading a group of whiny Israelites around the desert for 40 years. In all seriousness, though, Jesus had Moses and Elijah to talk to to remind him of what a lifetime of serving God can look like, and specifically that down that path toward Jesus' passion and death lies the great fulfillment of his work, salvation. Maybe Moses and Elijah were the inspiration Jesus needed during those dark and difficult times in his ministry, When he was before the Sanhedrin, did Jesus think about Moses speaking up to Pharaoh or Elijah in the court of the king? Maybe. Or maybe their words were just enough to help Jesus leave the mountaintop and head down to his ministry. They did it. Maybe so could he. Maybe the change on Jesus' face that Luke describes is resolve bolstered by moses and elijah bringing a guide along can help when we are unsure afraid or just a little anxious in my own life i have recently begun looking around for guides when i learned i was pregnant last september aside from joy one very pervasive feeling i had was anxiety about my age i'm 38 which is what is termed a geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) Isn't that the worst thing you've ever heard? It is for me. (laughs) So anyway, because of my age, especially at the beginning of my pregnancy, there were some higher statistical risks to the baby. One of the first things that my doctor and her nursing staff kept telling me was, yes, there's more risk, but plenty of people your age and older have perfectly healthy pregnancies. Especially since most of my friends had kids a little younger, it's been comforting to see others who became parents at my age. Uh, Knowing folks whom I could turn to for wisdom and encouragement who'd been there before me was a huge comfort, still is. Fun fact, Pastor Becky shared with me that she became pregnant with Caleb at the same age that I am now. So when I am feeling anxious about parenting, it really does help to know that other people have done it, are doing it, and are doing fine. It helps to bring a guide. I am also reminded of a story from the the life of poet Amanda Gorman, who wrote and recited her poem, The Hill We Climb, at the inauguration of President Biden. She cites Maya Angelou as an inspiration, not only for writing her famous poem, Both Women Are Inaugural Poets, but also on a more personal level. Amanda Gorman learned that she and Maya Angelou both had a speech impediment as children. She says of this discovery, I'm a black girl with a speech impediment and no one thought it was relevant to tell me that this great orator that I'm reading had a similar struggle? Being able to connect with her and relate with that was a real beacon for me in my life. Those who have come before can be a source of strength and encouragement because the advice they give comes from a place of experience. It's not just, you got this. It's, I know what you're going through, and I also know it's possible to get through it. Maya Angelou was one of Amanda Gorman's guides in navigating her life as a poet and overcoming her obstacles. Perhaps Ms. Gorman thought of her guide as she stood there on Inauguration Day, just before she recited her powerful and timely words. If you have seen her recitation from that day, you can definitely see the light shining from her face. Guides come in different forms, and those who have gone on before us in our spiritual family can help us through times that try us to our very cores. We don't have to listen to the people in our lives who, like the disciples, might mean well, but don't understand us because they haven't been where we need to go. When we are struggling with our faith in hard times, we can look to the authors of Lamentations or the Psalms to see examples of how to remain faithful to God amid our strife. We can find a guide in historical figures who face similar crises of faith, in friends and family who show us uh, how every day how to live a quiet life, fulfilling their holy calling. And we can certainly find a guide in Jesus We can find inspiration, encouragement, and hope in one who, despite being surrounded by people who did not understand him and doubted his work, despite spending time in the presence of God on a mountaintop, came down from the mountain and headed toward Jerusalem with the help of his ancestors, of his guides. So today... Let's rejoice for all the ways that God works in our lives to help us live out our calling. Let's give thanks for the guides in our lives, for those who have gone on before us and offer us encouragement, fortifying our souls. Although we may want to stay on the mountaintop and not think about what comes after, we are headed into Ash Wednesday. Let this Transfiguration Sunday Be the hope you need in the season of solemn reflection. Look around, take in the view, listen, be present, and then remember those on the the mountaintop with you as we begin the long walk to Golgotha. God loves you on the mountain and in the valley. As we come down from the mountain, I would like to leave you with words of blessing from Jan Richardson's poem, Dazzling. Believe me, I know how tempting it is to remain inside this blessing, to linger where everything is dazzling and clear. We could build walls around this blessing, put a roof over it. We could bring in a table, chairs, have the most amazing meals. We could make a home. We could stay. But this blessing is built for leaving. This blessing is made for coming down the mountain. This blessing wants to be in motion to travel with you as you return to level ground. It will seem strange how quiet this blessing becomes when it returns to earth. It is not shy It is not afraid, it simply knows how to bide its time, to watch and wait, to discern and pray, until the moment comes when it will reveal everything it knows, when it will shine forth with all it has seen, when it will dazzle with the unforgettable light you have carried all this way. Amen.